Colossians 1, 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I want to start this evening by asking all of you in here a question. What one thing do you need to be a better, more complete Christian? As you look around in church and see other Christians of varying levels of maturity, who are the sorts of people that you look at and say, I really want to be like them? And why? Or how might you finish this sentence? To be a more complete Christian, I need to be, what? More victorious in my daily life? More disciplined at doing the things that I ought to do? Or to be a more complete Christian, I need to have a deeper experience of God? or a greater sense of his power at work in me and through me. Or if you're here and you're still investigating Christianity, this message is for you as well. What would you need in order to say that you were complete, fulfilled, that you had all that you needed? The message of Colossians for all of us is that fullness, completeness, is only found in Jesus Christ. And if you have Jesus, then you have all that you'll ever need. The way to begin the Christian life is only in Jesus. The way to continue in the Christian life and to grow to maturity is only in Jesus. A way it's been put is that the way in is the way on. Christ is all in all. Christ is supreme. Christ is sufficient. All fullness is in him. Now, that being the case, why does that message matter? So what, you might ask. 
And it mattered to the Colossians, the ones who first received this letter, because false teachers had come into their church, and they seemed to be teaching that real fullness was found in some other way. It's difficult to pin down exactly what it was that the the false teaching was, but there were definitely some legalistic Jewish elements to it. There was talk about um, observing food laws and, and, and keeping certain festivals. And there was also some sort of mysticism involved. There's people going on in detail about visions and and boasting about sharing in the worship of angels. Or to put it more simply, these these false teachers, who probably all seemed very spiritual and must have been convincing at least to some degree to have been given a hearing, these false teachers were saying that real fullness is found in Jesus plus Jesus is great to start with, but to really grow to maturity, you need to observe these religious festivals. You need to keep this set of rules. You need to abstain from these foods, these drinks, these activities. Jesus is great to start with, but to really grow to maturity, you need to have had this sort of vision or this visceral spiritual experience. I wonder how that message connects with us in here at Chalmers or with you as an individual. If your gospel is Jesus plus X, what's the X? What else do we need to add to the Christian life if we have Jesus? Now, Colossians is an encouraging letter because it reminds us that all that we'll ever need is found in Jesus. Our fullness is found in him and only in him will we grow to maturity. Paul is writing to reassure this young church that their faith is the real deal. And he's also wanting to encourage them, encourage them to stick with Jesus and to pursue their growth in him. And as we spend the next six weeks or so working through this letter together, I hope we too will find it encouraging to us and reassuring and that it will be a spur towards us seeking spiritual growth in Christ. Now, if you've closed your Bibles, it would be helpful to have them open at page 983, Colossians chapter 1. So you've got the passage in front of you as I go through. Let me pray for us again as we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for time to meet together as your people around your word. Please help us to understand, help us to learn from you, and to grow to be more like Jesus. We ask for a blessing on each one tonight, that you would minister to our needs, that you would shape us and fashion us for your purposes. And we commit our time to you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as I've said a few moments ago, in the Christian life, the way in is the way on. The way in is what we'll look at first, true beginnings in Christ, But then after that, and very importantly, we'll look at the way on, because Colossians is about growing towards maturity in Christ. The real encouragement of Colossians is that all that you need for spiritual life and growth to maturity is yours in Christ. That's the encouragement. The challenge of Colossians is that All that you need for true spiritual life and growth to maturity is yours in Christ. So get on and grow 
Don't be lazy with the riches that are yours in Christ. Don't get bored of pursuing growth in Christ. And and don't start looking anywhere else for fullness because there's nowhere else worth looking. Well, we'll get onto that a bit later, but let's begin by looking at the first point then. Giving thanks for true beginnings in Christ. Well, Paul begins his letter here by thanking God for his work in the Colossians. He lets the Colossians know that he's thanking God for them, and he also lets them know exactly why it is that he is thanking God. He's thanking God because of the Colossians' genuine faith in Jesus, because of their true beginnings in Christ. True beginnings are very important in this letter, and we can see that if we quickly turn to what probably are the key verses in the letter. So have a look, please, at chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, just over the page if you're in a church Bible. Chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, where Paul writes this, "'Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving.'" And the point there, really, that Paul is making is that the way the Colossians began is the way that they are to continue in order to grow to maturity. The false teachers were saying that there was some sort of extra experience, there was some extra set of rules that the believers needed in order to be the real deal. In order to be real Christians, they needed something more than the elementary teachings that they'd already received. And Paul does not agree with that at all. He encourages them. He reassures them. They've heard the true gospel from a faithful messenger, and their response to that is true Christian faith. Now, more than that, Paul's getting them and us, I think, to see all that they already have in Christ and to give thanks for that. Paul gives thanks, and through that, he's modeling to the church at Colossae and to us the way that they and we should give thanks, and the sorts of things that we should give thanks to God for. You may be here this evening, still looking into Christianity. Why not have a good look here at what Paul says, true beginnings in Christ Christ look like, what real Christianity looks like. And for those of us who are already a Christian, why not look again, look again, at what you already have in Christ. Learn from Paul how much there is to give thanks for and be encouraged. Because one of the applications we're going to come across again and again in this series is the way that gratitude for all that we have in Christ is a safeguard to us. It's a safeguard against the sort of dissatisfaction that might make us susceptible to this kind of a false teaching that was going on at Colossae, the sort of false teaching that says that real Christian spiritual experience is something other than what you've got, something more than simple trust in Jesus. And Paul combats that. Paul combats that false spirituality by basically saying again and again in this first half of the letter, look, Look at all that you have in Christ. Remember who Jesus is. Remember how incredibly, astonishingly wonderful it is to be in Christ. If we really understand 
all that it means to belong to Jesus, then whenever anyone comes along and tries to tempt us away with something more or something other than Jesus, we'll say, no thanks. I have got all that I could ever need. I've got Jesus. Well, we'll focus on a few of the details now, and we'll begin with verses 3, 4, and 5, where we learn that true Christian beginnings are marked by faith, love, and hope. First of all, then, faith. Faith in Christ. And faith in Christ is the fundamental marker of true Christian experience. If you have that, then you've got the real deal already. The key thing about faith here is is the object of that faith. It's faith in Christ that matters. Faith in Christ is, is really just trust in him. Trusting that his death and his resurrection is enough, is sufficient for your salvation. Now, I know there'll be many of us in here who can think of times when it feels like our faith is, is weaker and times when it feels like our faith is stronger. But notice what Paul draws attention to here. Feelings aren't always the most reliable indicator of the way that things are. And more importantly, the key thing about faith is the object of that faith. It is faith in Christ. Even, even weak faith in a strong saviour will save. It's worth an awful lot more than strong faith in, in a non-saviour. An illustration that's often used for this is to think of falling off a cliff. I'm, I fall off a cliff, I see a branch, I reach my hand out. Now, what's more important? How much I think that branch is going to save me or whether that branch is strong or weak? If the branch is dead and it's going to snap, it doesn't matter how much I think it might help me. Even weak faith in a mighty saviour will say, faith in Christ is what matters. That's the fruit of the gospel. That's the miracle of God that Paul is giving thanks for here. Well, next of all, love, and not just love in general, but love for all the saints. Saint is um, really just a New Testament word for Christian. All um, Christians are saints. A saint is someone who's been called out by God and set apart to live a life of worship to him. All believers are saints. Whether, whether you think so or not, currently you're surrounded by saints. Whether my wife believes it or not, every evening she has dinner with a saint. <laughs> saint Callum. And Paul says that love for the saints, love for the family of God, is a marker of true Christian beginnings. It is worth giving thanks to God for. Now, last of all, hope. Paul gives thanks to God for the Colossians because of the hope laid up for them in heaven. And it's really helpful for us to be reminded that genuine Christian experience is marked as much by hope as it is by faith and love. Most of the great things that Christ has won for us are in heaven. Our present experience is really just a foretaste. The Christian life is inevitably one of looking forward, forward in hope. And they need reminded of that because the false teachers were, were claiming to offer a fullness in this life, which in reality is only for the next one. And the Colossians needed to be protected, protected from disillusionment and discouragement. The Christian life is always one of looking forward in hope and not the sort of wishy-washy hope that says, I hope I've done okay in my exams or I hope the weather's nice at the weekend. 
That illustration worked when I wrote this sermon, but I should really say I hope that it's cool enough that I don't drip in sweat when I get up to preach. Christian hope is more certain. A Christian looks forward to the hope of glory. That's Paul's words in Colossians 1.27. The hope of glory. The hope of being with Christ forever. And that's the sort of hope where there's no ifs, buts, or maybes. Paul sees that in the Colossians. It's evidenced by their faith in Jesus, their love for the saints. And so he gives thanks. And we can learn from this. We too should give thanks where we see signs of faith, hope, and love in believers, signs of true Christian beginnings. Now, more than that, and I'll just touch on this briefly, Paul wants to reassure them they've believed the true gospel as brought to them by a faithful messenger, Epaphras. If we have another look at verses 5 to 8, I'll pick up in the middle of verse 5. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, As indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So Paul's saying they've not believed in a defective or a deficient gospel. Epaphras didn't miss anything out. It's it's not as if there's something that they're lacking that only the false teachers can give to them. They've heard and believed in the word of truth. And from the moment they believed it, it's been bearing fruits in their lives, just as it does across all the world. Being a Christian means hearing and believing the word of truth. Now let's approach this from a different angle for a while now, because I know that in a lot of ways, much of what I've said so far is fairly elemental stuff, and that is true, because much of what Paul has been saying is fairly elemental stuff. But it is important, it's essential actually, to get these things straight in our minds. Evidently in Colossae, there was, there was some sort of an alternative spirituality that was being presented, and it must have seemed attractive it must have seemed plausible because if it was obviously false, if it was blatantly anti-Christian, the church wouldn't have been taken in for a moment. But it was tempting. It looked pretty good. These new super spiritual false teachers were very good at keeping the rules. They observed dietary laws. They kept some festivals that other Christians didn't. Some of them claimed to have had incredible spiritual experiences. They'd had visions. They'd say they'd joined in the worship of the angels in heaven. And to a young Christian, or even perhaps to a slightly more mature, but rather bored and dissatisfied Christian, it must have looked pretty good. And so we need to guard ourselves here because it will look pretty good to us too. I wonder if you're here tonight as a relatively young Christian. Perhaps you're more at risk than you might think. Perhaps you're more inclined than you'd care to admit to be taken in by an impressive-looking pseudo-spirituality that in reality is not connected to the head of the church, Jesus Christ. Or perhaps you're here as someone who's been a Christian for a good bit longer and Basically, you know the score. You've heard a lot about Jesus over the years. But if you're totally honest with yourself, you 
are getting a bit bored of just hearing Jesus this and Jesus that and Jesus the next thing. Maybe you've plateaued in your spiritual growth and you're just looking for something new, something interesting, anything that will stimulate and invigorate you. And there's a warning here in this letter. There's a warning against seeking our spiritual growth anywhere other than in Christ. There's no real growth apart from him. Any progress apart from Christ is no progress at all. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. If it's in the wrong direction, you've not made any progress. Progress apart from Christ is not progress. It's departure. Now, might I suggest that for those of us who are inclined to get a bit bored with the same old, same old in the Christian life, and I do include myself in this, might I suggest that the problem we have is that we have settled for far too small a Christ. As the Bible presents it, there are sufficient riches in Christ to keep all of God's people satisfied for all of eternity. And do we really think, do I really think that in 70 or 80 years or however long it happens to be that I live, that with my limited capacities, my slowness of mind, my dull heart, do I really think that somehow in such a short time I will be able to master, to comprehend fully, to exhaust the riches that are in Christ? Well, it's obviously ludicrous when you put it like that. There's no chance that that's going to happen. And yet Paul knows that there's a risk. There's a risk in Colossae, a risk of being drawn away from pursuing spiritual growth only in Christ. And the way that he combats that is to take this church back to their true beginnings in Christ. True Christian spiritual experience looks like faith in Christ, love for other believers, hope in heaven. True Christian spiritual experience looks like hearing the word of truth and believing it, bearing fruit and growing. And none of this happens apart from Christ. It all happens in Christ. It's not so much that all you need is merely Christ. It's, it's more that every good thing that you need is yours in Christ. And so let's learn to give thanks for true Christian beginnings the way that Paul does. Let's be encouraged, be reassured, and be thankful. Well, we're going to move on to the second point for this evening, and this one is a bit shorter, so don't worry, I won't be preaching all night. Um, second point. And it's worth asking another question. We had a question at the start, let's have a question here. If all fullness belongs to believers already in Christ, does that mean that we can just sit back and enjoy it? Is Paul writing this letter to the Colossians to say to them, well done, you've made it? Well, we probably know the answer to that is no. But why? What Paul's saying to them here is that if these Colossians are looking for fulfillment and spiritual growth, then they needn't seek it anywhere other than in Christ but they still ought to be seeking it. Spiritual growth is a, a good thing to pursue. Paul wants to see the church grow to maturity, and he's eager that any spiritual growth that occurs is consistent with their true beginnings in Christ. 
Paul wants to see them growing towards full maturity, and that is in Christ. And so he's praying for them, for all fullness in Christ. It might be helpful to remind ourselves of the the words of his prayer, verses 9 to 14. I'll reread them again. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So Paul's praying here for all fullness in Christ. He starts his letter by encouraging these believers. What they've got is the real thing, and what he does now is encourages them to pursue their growth in Christ. He lets them know what he's praying for them, I think, because he wants their living and thinking to be shaped by it. Just looking at the details of the prayer itself, I wonder if you noticed as we reread it there, all the fullness and, and all language that's in it. Paul uses those types of words quite a lot in Colossians, so I'll just skim through them. He asks that they'd be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He wants them to live lives that are fully pleasing to God in every good work. And he asks for them that they'd be strengthened with all power for all endurance and patience. And the point really is that this fullness that Paul's praying for is all-encompassing. Every part of life is included in this picture of maturity in Christ. And let's notice what we learn about what maturity in Christ looks like. It looks like wisdom and understanding. It looks like walking in a way worthy of the Lord. Good works, increasing in the knowledge of God, endurance and patience with joy, and giving thanks to God the Father. And I wonder if that's what we think of when we think of Christian maturity. Is that the sort of maturity that we're praying for, for ourselves, for the churches we're in, for others that we know. Of course, we can't talk about everything in the prayer here. It is very full, but uh, there are three main markers of maturity I'd like to pick up on a bit and, and focus on. Walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, being strengthened with all power, and giving thanks to God the Father. We'll just take them all in turn. So first of all, verses 9 and 10, Paul's main focus in this prayer is really that these believers would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Walk just means live. He wants them to live lives worthy of God. He's heard of their faith in Christ. He's not stopped praying for them, that they'd be filled with the knowledge of God's wisdom, God's will, rather, in wisdom and understanding. And why does he pray for them to know God's will? It tells us in verse 10, so that they'll walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now, whatever your view might be regarding seeking the Lord's will and and what that means and how it impacts your prayers, you can't really get away from the emphasis in, in the Bible that the Lord's will for his people is primarily related to the moral character of their lives. We are to know God's will here, Paul says, 
so that we'll live lives fully pleasing to him, so that we'll bear fruit in all sorts of good works, so that we'll increase in the knowledge of God. So let's ask ourselves, is that how we pray? When we think of seeking God's will, is it mainly to have peace about the big life decisions, which of course we should be praying for? Or are we seeking God's will that we might know how to live a life pleasing to him, that we might seize the opportunities for good works that are right in front of us, that we might grow in the knowledge of God. Because Paul's expectation for the Christian life is that it's one of growing. It's one of growing to maturity. You have all that you need in Christ, so get going and get growing. He doesn't sit back saying, you've made it. He works hard. He labors, he prays, he strives so that he and this church would grow to maturity in Christ. That's a good example for us to follow and a good way to be praying. Now, the next mark of maturity that Paul prays for is that they'll be strengthened with all power. And if you have another look at verse 11, I want to ask you a question about it. Does it look like it's a, a bit of an anticlimax? Take a moment to read verse 11 and, and have a think. Does it look like an anticlimax to you? Paul's praying that the Colossians would be strengthened with all power, all power according to the glorious might of God. And why does he do that? What is the great work of power that they're going to do in the glorious might of God? Well, he says that they're going to endure, that they're going to be patient, and they're going to do it all with joy. And you think, really? That's what you need all God's glorious might working at you in all power to do? Perhaps it seems a bit mundane, but it is quite true to life, isn't it? Most of us in here probably won't have visions or, or grand spiritual experiences or extra special knowledge from the Lord, but we will all have to endure difficult situations, and we will all have to be patient with difficult people. And we'll all struggle to do that with joy. And so we need the glorious might of God to be at work in us with all power. Paul knows that. Paul prays for it. Is that how we pray with regard to difficult situations and difficult people? It's not an easy prayer to pray. Lord, strengthen me with all power according to your glorious might. Help me to endure. Help me to be patient. Help me to do it with joy. The default prayer is to say, get me out of this. And sometimes God will, but sometimes he doesn't. And when he doesn't, Christian maturity looks like endurance and patience with joy. You might not think you can do it, but Paul tells us here, in Christ, in Christ, you can. By the glorious might of God at work in you in all power, you can. It's not at all glib or trite to say that in Christ, you really do have all that you need. Well, finally, we'll look at 12 to 14 before we close. And what we learn, lastly, is that Christian maturity is characterized by giving thanks to the Father. We noted earlier that um, thankfulness for all that we have in Christ will guard us against the sort of dissatisfaction that made this false teaching at Colossae look appealing. 
And Paul just gives us a reminder here of some of the things which are ours in Christ, for which we are to thank the Father. From verse 12, he's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Like I've already said, faith in Christ is the defining feature of Christian spiritual experience. And when we read it in light of these verses, we see that it's, it's not something to think little of. It is a miracle of God. Faith in Christ means you've been delivered out of the domain of darkness. It means you've been transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved Son, and it's in him that we have redemption, which means we've been bought at a price, his blood shed on the cross, in him, we have forgiveness of sins, all our sins forgiven in him. Are we giving thanks for all that we have already in Christ? When we're tempted by things that look like they add something to the Christian life, do we really know all that we have already? Have we really plumbed the depths of the riches that we have in Christ? Thanksgiving for all that we have in Christ and for all that he has done for us is a marker of maturity in Christ. It's a safeguard against being taken in by false teaching, however attractive it looks. None of us, not one of us, will ever be beyond the need of saying, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. So fullness in Christ, that's what we've been talking about. It's not for the few, it's for anybody. It's the maturity that all believers are growing towards and which all of us should be praying for and working for. Colossians tells us this fullness is ours in Christ. We don't need to look anywhere else, it's in Christ. So I want to just conclude tonight by going back to where we started what one thing do you need to make yourself a better, more complete Christian? Of course, it's not a thing, is it? It's a person you need. It's Jesus. All fullness is, is found in him. True spiritual beginnings are in him. Growth to maturity is in him. Let me pray for us as we close. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus. We thank you for new life in him. We thank you that all that we could ever need is in him, that he has redeemed us and saved us and transferred us into his kingdom. Pray that you would help us to treasure and give thanks for all that we have in Jesus. Pray that you would help us to be encouraged by signs of, of true Christian faith in ourselves and in the lives of those that we know. And we pray for each of us here that we would pursue our spiritual growth in Christ, guard us from the temptation to go for whatever looks impressive that's got nothing to do with Jesus. Help us to trust that we really do have all that we need in him and to seek to grow to fullness in him and to help one another in that. We pray for your blessing on us in that, and that you would get all the glory. For Jesus' sake. Amen.